with the Kansas legislature on a mini holiday until Tuesday, it's time to check the pulse of folks working at the Capitol, the Kansas House and Senate, as well as Governor Laura Kelly and some GOP politicians who want to take her job in 2022. With the Kansas Reflector are Bob Beatty of Washburn University and Michael Smith of Emporia State University. Welcome to you both. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Well, the legislature has dabbled in 2021 in abortion taxes, Medicaid, education, elections, and of course, disaster management. And Mr. Beatty, let's start with Medicaid expansion. Governor Kelly wants it. Many Kansans do too, but the GOP legislature continues to say no. Why? And is that just about politics? Well, Medicaid expansion has become sort of this uh, issue that you get that many politicians feel like they've gotten so close to, especially Democrats, but also moderate moderate Republicans, and just couldn't get there. So actually, before the pandemic hit, it looked like there was a deal and everyone was, oh my gosh, is this actually gonna happen? And uh, the deal was squashed by conservative Republicans and the leadership. And the legislature has only gotten more conservative uh, after the last election. So while nationally and in states like Georgia and Arizona, uh, those states in the country got a little more uh, democratic, Kansas got more conservative. And so the idea of Medicaid expansion is simply a non-starter. If it was a non-starter when there was a possible deal between Republicans and Democrats, it's a non-starter for conservative Republicans in the current legislature. Now, I think what's interesting, and, and Michael can attest to this, Michael Smith, who's also with us, is that the federal government... Uh, is essentially offering states that still haven't expanded Medicaid hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, whatever you think about the issue, literally the, the state of Kansas not only has been turning down billions in the past decade over Medicaid expansion, but is also saying no to hundreds of millions of dollars that could be coming in the mail or electronically in a week if uh, Kansas would expand. Let's let, Michael, let's let Michael Smith jump in right there. Bob's right. There's several hundred million dollars in just like uh, icing on the cake. Here's some here's a bunch of money for all the Medicaid holdouts. So what is the matter with Kansas? Uh, financially, this is against their best interest, right? I think you can make a very strong argument for that. I know Bob's and my colleague Ed Flengey would make exactly that argument, and he worked in Kansas government for years. A really good case study is on our border, uh, the state of Missouri, uh, former battleground state, now votes Republican in similar numbers to Kansas, but has the petition initiative. Missourians passed Medicaid expansion by 53%. Polls we've seen, like the Kansas Speaks poll out of the docking centers, show a similar level of support here in Kansas for that. But there is no petition initiative by which to put that on the ballot here. But now over in Missouri, the uh, uh, Missourians actually amended the state constitution and put it in. But over in Missouri, the general Assembly now refuses to fund it. And so if we listen to some of those arguments, we're, we're hearing or we're going to hear those same arguments in Kansas. And really, Bob, in Kansas this year, the main thing has not been so much arguments, but just leaving it off the agenda, period. 
is we're going to talk about other stuff. We're going to talk about you know, transgender student athletes, right? We're not even going to talk about this. But but if you look over in Missouri or in Kansas in previous years, the big argument is what happens when that federal money runs out? But the counter arguments are, first of all, rural hospitals. A lot of rural hospitals are really not doing well financially, and they really depend on that Medicaid expansion money. And then, of course, if Medicaid expansion works as intended, hopefully it would lower people's health care costs with preventative care. And eventually it would take a while, but eventually pay for itself. Bob, do you think it's just Medicaid expansion is something obviously Laura Kelly has advocated for a long time? Do you, do you think that the Republicans just view it as too big of a victory for her? It would be too satisfying for voters that she accomplished this. They absolutely cannot let it happen. That's a good point. There, there's two elements to the lack of uh, progress on Medicaid expansion. One is I do believe that Republican leadership this year and in the past few years, and even going back to Governor Sam Brownback, honestly don't believe that many Kansans should get subsidized health care. Uh, through this debate, we sometimes see these the smoke and the swirling of the fog about various reasons why, including money. But at the end, really what I keep seeing as a theme is, hey, I don't think that people should get, quote unquote, free health care. And that's a philosophical argument. And I would actually prefer if that was just laid out there very clearly, which it often is not. That's the first part. Mm -hmm. The second part is what you've mentioned, is that this is a relatively popular idea. I mean, as Michael mentioned, it could probably get 50 to 55 percent on a in a vote. And probably that's about how many people approve it. But when I talk about this fog, for example, when Jeff Collier ran for governor in 2018, one of the first interviews he did was he said, this is not actually very popular and polls show that. That's completely false. It is actually a relatively popular program. So, you know, it's it's not an election year unless it's mayor of Topeka, some other places, but it's election season. We have two declared candidates for governor. And so this would be a victory for Laura Kelly that could ride her all the way to reelection. That being said, it's also an issue that the legislature, by not doing, gives her an issue for reelection because it is relatively popular. Absolutely. I think. But go ahead, Michael. Just wanted to reinforce Bob's first point a little bit that, Bob, you mentioned how back in 2019, it looked like they were moving toward a deal. We don't see that now, but or it may, yeah, 2019. But what was the big issue? Work requirements, just like what you're saying. Um, and, and they had negotiated this idea, of, well, it's not work requirements, it's work referrals. But you're absolutely right, Bob. That's where we tend to get stuck on that issue. And, and Tim, very quickly, uh, when something is involving money or something like the substance, like Michael said, work requirements or something like that, you can always get a deal. You can always figure something out. So, you know, for example, the Governor Kelly said, hey, is this about money? OK, let's link it to marijuana uh, legalization and the money that, you know, you can always figure out a way to find money, increase taxes, cut whatever you need to do. But if it's philosophical, A, then it doesn't really matter what people can come up with. It's not going to happen. Or B, as you allude to, Tim, if it's politically based on reelection, 
then there's no interest in finding a solution. I'm always curious when, when people talk about uh, federal funding of health care, nobody's uh, running around with signs saying no more federal funding of agriculture in Kansas, which has, you know, billions and billions of dollars, just truckloads of cash dumped on, on farmers in Kansas. And that's all right and good. And I'm all for the farmer. But, you know, when it comes to 100,000 people who don't have preventive health care, just absolutely no, that's socialism. So, right. And and sorry, and I don't want to dominate this too much, but I'll, you know, I'm getting old enough. I'll forget my point if I don't say it. Um, when, and also, we're going to talk about the Kansas Department of Labor and the problems that uh, the Department of Labor has had with unemployment benefits. What's interesting about that is I think we're going to see we've seen and we're going to see Republicans complaining about that. So here we have this idea from some saying, hey, you should not get subsidized health care. But on the other complaining that people aren't getting unemployment benefits. And I think what they will say is, well, they they were paying into them in some fashion. Uh, And yet so this is this odd little uh, linkage between an anger over unemployment, but not willing to help out with health care. Well, let's just lurch ahead to to the Department of Labor. Uh, You know, the Governor Kelly has been hammered by conservatives. And I think this the criticisms are legitimate. The Department of Labor couldn't even get uh, uh, people on the phone to talk about their unemployment claim. You know, the computer system there is terrible. They've had trouble cutting checks for people. It's been a real nightmare. We're a year into the pandemic and there's still some problems there. Part of it was a vestige of previous administrations, but I can still I can see the ad coming now. Kelly let fraudsters steal hundreds of millions of unemployment insurance money while Kansans struggled uh, to put food on the table. Ominous voices, you know, sad looking Kansans, you know, wandering around in the darkness. So politically, the the Department of Labor, what do you think, Michael? Um, I wrote my most recent newspaper column on this. Uh, This was decades in the making. Uh, There were a number of different threads that wove together to create this crisis. One was the absolutely decrepit computers that they had there that I believe dated from the 1970s. Um, And the funding for that was not getting allocated. There was a Uh, Some money that potentially could have that was diverted to a no-bid privatization contract during the Brownback administration. That didn't help. Um, And uh, this was just, its if you need a poster child for deferred maintenance, short of a bridge falling down, here you go. Uh, Years of deferred maintenance. And when you have something that old and it does break, you can't buy parts to replace it. It's just taken offline. But there's another piece of this, too, which is that as best we know, what happened with the data breach was it wasn't the state of Kansas. It was probably the Equifax breach in 2017. But it was uh, it was an external agency that had people's personal information from multiple states because this has happened in lots of states. What happened was that the fraudsters who we think are overseas maybe in former Soviet bloc countries, possibly. We, we may never know for sure. But, uh, highly unlikely they're in the United States. They just sat on that data. They just sat on it. 
And what happened was with the pandemic and the unemployment benefits and the expansion of unemployment benefits, it was the perfect storm. And they swooped in and they got lots of states. They got California, they got Colorado, they got Missouri, they got lots of states. But uh, I'm sorry, Kansas was really vulnerable with those decrepit computers. Um, Now, the Department of Labor could have handled it better. The relations with the news media, they could have been better. Uh, They weren't very transparent. Um, And so mistakes were made, as they say. But this did not start during the pandemic. This was decades in the making. Yeah, Bob, anything you want to add? Well, apparently um, somebody named Robert Beatty with my Social Security um, applied for unemployment. So I have personal experience with this. And Come on, you can come clean. Are you double dipping, my friend? Um, <laughs> it, it was a hassle because you have to change all your credit cards, et cetera. I mean, I don't like those these people. They just make my life more miserable. But here's the interesting thing about this issue. You, you alluded to it, Tim, which is politically – In in 2019, before the pandemic hit and this disaster hit, politically, you go on a TV show, you do an interview and you're governor and you say, I fixed the computer system for unemployed people. And the vast majority of the state says, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I've fallen asleep. You're not you don't get credit for that, you know. And and so it's just it's it's part of being a a governor. That's the boring part because you just do it because you're supposed to. But that's one of the reasons, as Michael says, it's deferred maintenance. It's you don't get a lot of headlines for it. Hey, we fixed the computers. Big deal. However, when disaster hits, then you get all of the blame. And you're right. The commercials are going to be sad looking people in lines. And really what Laura Kelly, when she runs for re-election, she's in. This is what I think she's doing in general. She is going she ran her 2018 campaign, I would argue, by just explaining the situation in her TV ads. Uh, it helped to have Chris Kobach there. But, you know, and I think that's her entire re-election plan as well two-part re-election plan. One is to simply explain the situation. And if you saying we inherited these horrible computers, and then as Michael said, the, these fraudsters came and it was a disaster, but by the time she's running her TV ads, it's fixed. That's gotta be the goal. And then puts herself in the hands of, of Democrats, independents and moderate Republicans and hope they believe it. If they don't, she can say, I did my best. You know, the second part, we can get into this later, is she's going to have to, I would argue, probably go some negative on Derek Schmidt. And uh, that's sort of a, maybe a different conversation, but a two-pronged re-election campaign. And in terms of the Department of Labor, just explain it. And that's that's the best you can do. So we can't forget that President Trump in 2020 won Kansas by, what was it, a couple hundred thousand votes? which seems remarkable that a Democrat can ever get elected governor in Kansas. Maybe it says something about the Republican nominee more so than uh, Laura Kelly. But so we have two prominent Republicans, as you've mentioned, the Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt and former Kansas Governor Jeff Collier. Collier replaced Brownback when Brownback went to work for Trump, the Trump administration. So both of those Republicans are moving towards a, a campaign. So, um what do you what do you think about that? What do you think about those two guys? First of all, just at the top of your head, what do you think of them as candidates? Um, 
uh, one anecdote that I think is absolutely hilarious. Um, the Attorney General of Missouri, who is running for U.S. Senate, is named Eric Schmidt. The Attorney General of Kansas, who's running for governor, is named Derek Schmidt. I am not making this up. Um, and that's not only hilarious, but it could create massive voter confusion in the Kansas City metropolitan area, which is a big chunk of the electorate of both states. So think about that. Um, but Schmidt, I, the thing that fascinates me most about Schmidt is the way he laid low during the Kobach years. Um, when I teach state and local government, I teach that in most states, not Texas, but most states, the second most powerful state executive officer after the governor is the attorney general. And here we had eight years where it would appear that the second most powerful, certainly the second most publicized state executive officer was the secretary of state when it was Chris Kobach. And Derek Schmidt just sort of bided his time, did his job. He occasionally steps in and he will throw red meat to the right. He was even involved in a lawsuit about former President Obama's birth certificate when he was, uh, when he was president. He's gotten involved in some uh, other lawsuits that probably have no chance. Uh, he will throw red meat to the right but he is really, he's been biding his time, laying low. I suspect a lot of Kansans maybe haven't heard his name yet. Um, and um, trying to balance between the, the really, really hard Trump, Kobach, right, and the more mainstream of the Republican Party and, and come right up the middle. We'll see if it works. So, Bob, there, there are obviously other people that could run for governor, uh, people, names of the past. But... I think these two fellows could be formidable. Do you think Collier could suffer from his having worked uh, for seven seven years as Lieutenant Governor to Sam Brownback? Well, I, I've, I've already heard some complaints that the this governor's race has started too soon. And, and by my very quick calculations, Tim, you've been doing this for many years. In terms of major candidates, it's the earliest uh, campaign in Kansas history. Uh, and so, however, you, me and Michael and many people enjoying this podcast are nerds and we love it. So this is a really, really fascinating Republican primary because I'm really interested to see how former governor and lieutenant governor Jeff Collier runs his campaign because he's got some difficulties. And you alluded to this in your question. You said seven years as lieutenant governor to Sam Brownback. I would argue the Brownback piece is difficult, but really even more difficult is the fact that he was lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governors don't become governor in Kansas. It's, you know, maybe it happens in other states, uh, less or, or more. But when you look at Kansas history, you know, Mark, I recently talked to former governor Mark Parkinson, who'd been Kathleen Sebelius' lieutenant governor. And he said, well, it was going to be a difficult race for him anyway. And he decided not to run in 2010. But he said to me, Bob, lieutenant governors don't become governor. Even when they're governor, they're still thought of as lieutenant governor. So Collier, seven years as lieutenant governor, very brief time as governor. And of course, he loses in the primary to Chris Kobach. So the big question for me for Jeff Collier is how, is what kind of identity is he going to uh, put out there for himself? When he ran in 2018, he called himself a Reagan con Republican. Didn't work. Kobach as the Trump Republican defeated him. And that's a whole other discussion, podcast maybe, where if uh, Collier loses to Kobach, 
by the narrowest margin for a sitting governor in a, in a primary in American history, Republican primary. And of course, it hinges on mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. No, no court cases, no cry of foul, nothing. Why didn't that happen? I don't know. We should look into it. So Collier fascinates me. To Michael's point, Schmidt is a little more, I'm pretty clear about where he's going to go. Uh, but where Collier goes, I'll be really interested to see. Michael, any, any just thoughts about those two guys, Schmidt and uh, Jeff Collier? Well, there is the issue of the strategic voting, right? Looking ahead to the general. If Collier is nominated, then the Democrats and independent money supporting Democrats message will be Brownback Collier, Brownback Collier, Brownback Collier. Now, I don't, and in the Republican primary, it could be a strategic thing of don't nominate Collier, he's not electable. Um, but will that actually work? I mean, the Republican base is so fired up right now. They still love Trump. Um, and um, I don't know that strategic voting arguments are going to work very well this time. Hmm. Interesting to see. We'll see what Trump's impact on this Kansas race might be. One other quick thing. The legislature has rewritten the Kansas Emergency Management Act and basically turned it upside down. And, and they stripped governor, notably a Democratic governor, Laura Kelly, of much authority to decide how to handle the mandate. They didn't. The, the Republican legislators didn't like that. She closed businesses, closed schools, forced people to wear a mask. So they wrote, rewrote the law so that the legislature could essentially veto executive orders. And they just did it uh, regarding her statewide mask order. Do you think that kind of thing in which the Derek Schmidt or uh, Jeff Collier could come forward and say, look, the governor so mismanaged the pandemic, the, the legislature had to take control. Or do you think the governor being on on YouTube video? with 30,000 people watching them, you know, earlier in the pandemic, that made developed a familiarity with people with her that might be advantageous. I, I'm just wondering about the balancing of those. Well, uh, what we've seen during the pandemic is, is what you've described. We saw a na nationwide and in Kansas, Kansas um, approval ratings for the Governor Kelly during the pandemic tend to mirror the trends nationwide, which were initially, by and large, governors getting a lot of support, much more than Donald Trump, for example. And then as the pandemic kept going and going and going, the governor's approval ratings of the handling of the pandemic went down. In some cases, it's not that they really did anything. All they did was it was the time element. So first, oh, yes, we need to, to do these things to stop a pandemic. And then six months later, a year later, it's like, oh, my goodness gracious, when will this ever end? And so the last uh, consortium of, of pollsters who did all 50 state governors saw Governor Kelly, I believe, at a 41 percent approval for the pandemic handling. Now, however, it's very early. We've talked about how early this 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 race is is. We got a lot of time. So what I, I would argue that probably Laura Kelly's strategy or idea is in a year's time when people really start paying attention to to a governor's race and more than a year, by the way, October of 2022. The idea is the, the economy is booming. The everyone's vaccinated. The pandemic is over. And then she comes out and says it was a rough two years. Thanks for sticking with me. We've made it. Get those people back. 
Um, and we'll see what happens. But I think that's, you know, that's the idea. Remember how important the economy is in any election. So what's important now may not be so important in a year. Michael, I see you're nodding your head. Do you, do you concur that if the economy comes roaring back, unemployment's low, that she'll get credit for that despite all the craziness of the pandemic? I do. Uh, we tend to forget things rather quickly. It's hard to beat an incumbent in a good economy, although this Trump base is still really fired up. He won Kansas by double digits twice. And so don't dismiss that or count that out. Now, on the pandemic, essentially, it's an urban rural issue. Uh, anybody from Kansas City who's stopped in a rural area and gotten out, gone inside and said, hey, why aren't these people wearing masks, <laughs> has, right. has experienced that. Um, but the problem is, even though Kansas isn't as rural as people think, it's a mostly suburban state now, um, that it's more lopsided in rural areas. So you've got counties in Western Kansas that vote 90% plus for Trump. And then you've got uh, Johnson County that voted by Biden, but only by eight points. And so the dynamics actually tend to favor the rural areas. And that probably includes on the pandemic response. I wanted to, uh, before we uh, run out of time here, I wanted to talk to you about two kind of totally different issues. One of them is Gene Solentrop, and he's the Senate Majority Leader who has been arrested on suspicion of DUI, driving the wrong way on I-70, about 100 miles an hour, ran roadblocks, had a wreck, you know, uh, typical uh, 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 weeknight in, in Kansas. Uh, so what do you think about well, his political future? I mean, should a person like this resign uh, or is that unnecessary? Bob, you want to take a crack at that? Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm working on a, a piece for Kansas history and involves uh, the era of former Governor Mark Parkinson and the Sebelius years. And uh, there was a problem with Paul Morrison, who was the Kansas attorney general at the time, and he was a Democrat, and he got involved in a sex scandal. Tim Carpenter may remember some of that. Yeah, I do. And uh, what Tim may remember is the outcry from Republicans, you know, and, and the, you know, it's a Republican state, so it was so forceful. That is, you know, again, this is a sex scandal. You know, nobody could have been killed that we know of. It didn't involve uh, alcohol that we know. You know, it, it really wasn't that, quote unquote, dangerous. It was a sex scandal, as awful as that is. And he was forced to resign. Uh, yeah. And even now, some people say to me, I wonder if he could have just waited it out. Who knows? But I was just struck by the difference in terms of, of Solentrop. This is a. This is a case where we now we have some testimony or, or witnesses who said they feared for their lives because, it, I mean, just close your eyes and think about driving on a highway and seeing a car coming at you the opposite direction. So, uh, yeah, the middle I, of the night. He should resign. All I know is that in Kansas history, traditionally, this kind of thing would lead to, to calls from his resignation from not just a one party, but often both. Michael, do you think you can hang on? Um, in today's political climate, I think it's possible. Um, one book that I teach uh, involved an experiment in which they took uh, two political figures, one Democrat and one Republican. They presented some, uh, some subjects with a scenario in which they apologized for wrongdoing and another one in which they did not apologize um, for both people, their popularity was higher if they did not apologize. 
which is oh, thanks a lot, Michael. Disturbing at so many levels, but uh, you know, thinking about our recent past president, the idea of doubling down or presenting yourself as a victim. I'm a victim of the liberal news media, for example, or I'm a victim of the corporations. If you're on the left, it really works. People almost prefer the doubling down and claiming that you're the real victim here over an honest and forthright apology. And I'm not sure that's psychologically healthy, but that's where we are today in politics. So I don't think it's a given that Solentrop will resign. Yeah, that's nuts. There's another unrelated issue where a prominent Wichita fitness club uh, owner, uh, Genesis Health Clubs, are basically bankrolling another bid to give those for-profit clubs of that type a 100% property tax break across the state. And it's millions of, it's worth millions of dollars to him. So he failed a handful of years ago. Now he's got Lynn Jenkins carrying water for him in the state house and it's back. The bill can't get out of committee, but it's still part of the conversation and it could be tucked into some big package of tax legislation and he could have his big payday. What do we think about well-heeled people uh, coming in and using their money leverage to get tax breaks that really are basically all about the Genesis tax break. I'll dive in briefly. Um, the Genesis Health Club is very well connected politically. During the Brownback administration, they got some preferential treatment and employee wellness programs. Um, this is an example of a business whose whole business model seems to thrive on its political connections. Um, so that's what I know about it. I'll let mm -hmm. Bob continue from there. Bob well, I don't have a, uh, they, they're blaming the YMCA's for threatening their for-profit businesses. This charitable organization that pro provides elderly a place to go or children to have some daycare. Well, I, I haven't been studying this issue too much, but I will say that the um, the current legislature and and in the past, but especially the current legislature is very much pro-business. So arguments that may, may not have worked in previous years may work this time around as long as you're stressing, uh, you know, this is for business. And again, that links to the Medicaid expansion, okay? Think about this idea of, you know, a legislature saying that it's okay, we want to give as many breaks as possible to any sort of business but an individual needing health care, no, they, they really shouldn't get too many breaks. Again, that, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the atmosphere of, the, of Kansas right now. Keep in mind, however, that a business and businessman may have inherited their business, right? But, and so really, you know, that, but that idea is very, very strong in Kansas right now that anybody who owns a business is just generically deserving and hardworking and to be honest, fantastic. Whereas then people though that are, are possibly needing assistance for healthcare, we need to sort of cast it. Yeah, what an irony. We're gonna give a tax break to a fitness club guy who charges fees, but but we can't possibly consider uh, you know, preventive health care for lower income people. 
I'd, I'd like to chat along. We need a beer somewhere and sit around and, and talk about this stuff. But I want to thank uh, Bob Beatty of Washburn University and Michael Smith of Emporia State University for taking time today to kind of walk through some of these sometimes cloudy and complex political issues. So thank you both. Thank you.